players gather to cast powerful spells. Some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Aethervial, True Name Nemesis, Chalice of the Void, and many others. Battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common. To uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bashan Raw on YouTube, Thurban University, and TheEpicStorm.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 62 of the Eternal Glory Podcast, Community Formats and Projects. I'm Phil Gallagher, joined as always by Bryant Cook and Brian Koval. How are y'all doing tonight? I'm tired, Phil. I have had to go to work today for the first time in probably two and a half months. And by go to work, I mean like I got this new job. Like I, I talked about that on the cast, like switched careers. And while my caseload was getting up and running, I had some like, you know, stuff I could do at home and then some scattershot, like just head out to go do an assessment with a client at like 4 p.m. or something. But I actually had to set an alarm and be up and out of the house at 7.30 this morning. And I haven't experienced that since I quit my last job. So uh, it's now 12 hours later, now that we're recording this, and I'm tired, man. Now you know what life is like for the rest of us mortals again. Yeah, I actually had the thought where last night I was setting my alarm. I set my alarm for 7.30. So I actually had to be at the house at 8.30, not 7.30. I set my alarm for 7.30, and I was like, woe is me, life is pain, how did it come to this? But then I realized that that was the call time at my previous job, and it's just when I'm waking up now, and like just the shift of perspective. I was like, okay, yeah, I used, I spent 10 years having to show up at this time, and I'm just waking up at this time one time. I can live with this. How are you, Bryant? Uh, I'm alive. There's nothing to say here. Let's just move on. <laughs> All right, deal. Bryant is still alive. Phil, what's up? I'm doing okay. We got an email from one of the middle school teachers last week at my school saying, How would you all feel about removing the mask mandates? I'm for it. So I've been dealing with that at work over the last couple of days and uh, talking to the powers that be and be like, Hey, this is dumb. We know this is dumb. Why is this person emailing every staff member and blind carbon copying so that the people above him can't see what's going on? Let's talk about this. Yeah, it. My local school districts, uh, I, I don't work in them directly anymore, but it's been on the news and stuff. Uh, it's like child theatrics where people on both sides are like training their five-year-old to like stand in front of the school board and be like, when I wear my mask, it hurts my lungs. My daddy says we need freedom. And they have like tears in their eyes and like the, the parents are like just off camera like, yes, yes, more tears. And, and like it, it's on both sides too uh, like both people like the the child theatrics are just out of control and it's heated yeah it's 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 disgusting i hate it uh, in better news i've been rewatching full metal alchemist brotherhood before it leaves netflix at the end of the month and oh man that show's good like i remembered that it's good and now that i'm rewatching it it's just uh just a great piece of fiction right there how much better than 
normal Full Metal Alchemist is it? Because it's it's a reboot, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's sort of a reimagining that's a little bit closer to the the manga. Uh, it it is a more satisfying experience as a whole. I usually tell people if you're gonna watch one, watch Brotherhood. If you loved loved Full Metal Alchemist, it's worth watching Brotherhood. But if you just thought Full Metal Alchemist was good, don't watch Brotherhood. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I didn't understand what Brotherhood was. And I had just finished binging Full Metal Alchemist, and I was like, now I'll move on to Brotherhood. And then when the first three episodes were like basically the same first three episodes, I was like, wait, this isn't more. It's just different and walked away. But it's been a few years. I know that's I've heard from everyone that that's the better one. And it's probably fresh enough again that I can watch it. Or if you end up watching it with someone who has never seen Full Metal Alchemist before, it ends up being great for that too. I saw an altar the other day of uh, Gisela, the the angel double half card. Someone had altered it to be like the dog and the girl, and then the dog girl. <laughs> for the people who know Full Metal Alchemist, they know what I'm talking about. And for the people who don't, I'm not going to give you any spoilers, but it was a giant oof in the gut. <sighs> All right, turn the episode out strong. <laughs> yep. The, the anime people are all uh, have tears in their eyes. Everyone else is like, what are they even talking about? Everything's I'm, fine. I'm sitting I'm okay. right here. <laughs> yeah, Brian's sitting there just like, okay, guys, can we loop me in somehow? In better news, uh, my birthday was this past weekend, and I got to go to the Brazilian Steakhouse, which is one of my favorite things to do, but I save it for special occasions, so it remains special. And I'm so happy. I love doing that. The first time I went to one of those, like it took a lot of convincing to get me into that building. I'm like, I don't know that I want to spend that much money on a meal. And then I did it and I'm like, oh, so this is what true happiness is like, huh? Yep. The only one I've actually ever been to was in Pittsburgh, Brian. And I was there for a magic trip. And at one point, the server turned to one of my friends. It was like, is he going to vomit? I'm going to quit serving him just because I had eaten so much steak. <laughs> Uh, were you? Did you look like you were going to vomit? Probably. I don't know. Fair did you enough. get the meat sweats? Were you at Fogo or Tejas? Do you remember? Fogo. Definitely Fogo. Fogo. Yeah, Fogo is the worst one. I mean, Fogo is like one of the big chains and Tejas de Brazil is the other one. And I think Tejas is just better across the board. Fogo uses way too much salt, which is weird to say because salt is an integral ingredient in steak. But it's like too much i actually don't like fogo i would rather eat chipotle if someone asked me to go to fogo but uh tejas is great why are we knocking chipotle here i love chipotle i eat there like once no i just mean like the weeks. the scale of the meal if i'm like if i'm like yes i'm willing to pay 60 dollars for an excellent meal tonight and someone's like great let's go to fogo i'm like ah no i'll just get chipotle thanks for the invite though chipotle if you'd like to sponsor us we are available i will accept free burritos I've seen streamers with the Chipotle God card where it's just like an unlimited credit card that you can only spend at Chipotle and it's like part of their sponsorship deal. Incredible. Just the unbelievable access to that. The first time I went to a Brazilian steakhouse, I got stabbed in the hand with a knife by my server. (laughs) Like like there was blood (laughs) and it it was like kind of a weird thing because it was kind of both of our fault because some of the meats, they just like slide off onto your plate and others they have to cut and then you reach in with your tongs and catch it and then they cut it the rest of the way and i went in kind of like pinky out with my tongs and he took like a big swing forward with the knife and it connected with my out pinky so like he shouldn't have been that close but i also could have been more careful and the guy was clearly an immigrant so i didn't want to you know go full karen on anyone and i was just like i'm okay but please get me a first aid kit and he was just like clearly panicking and sort of like, I could tell he was like running around talking to all his coworkers, everyone except the manager. 
to like try to find me a first aid kit. And at some point I just went in the bathroom, washed it, wrapped it in a clean napkin and sat there and waited for him to show back up. And it took a long time. And eventually the manager came over and he's like, what's going on? Uh, I was like, well, your server stabbed me in the hand with a knife and I would just like a first aid kit. And he found one instantly because he knew where it was. He was in charge of that, which <laughs> the worker should have known. And then there was this awkward standoff where like in my head, I'm like, are they going to comp my meal? Not that I like expect it and I'm not going to ask, but like, it seems like a standard thing to do if you get stabbed in the hand with a knife. And the manager came over after I like bandaged myself up and he's like, is there anything else we can do for you? And I was like, I think I'm good. And he's like, okay, let me know if there's anything else we could do for you. Like he was going to make me say it. Like, you know, I got stabbed in the hand, maybe comp my meal. And I wasn't going to say it. And I was actually just like, I just don't want that guy to get in trouble. Like, it's fine. It was my fault. Like, just leave him alone, please. And he was like, yeah, okay. And I was eating with Alex Bistecki, who was like, you know, it took kind of a long time for him to find a first aid kit. And we've been sitting here and I was just like, shut up, stop it. You're not going <laughs> to game a free meal off of my pain and suffering. <laughs> That's my story. And clearly it's good enough that that didn't turn me off from going back at appropriate opportunities so to switch into magic a little bit phil i got so excited when you posted your popper screenshot i was through the moon i was like yes phil's playing popper i'll have another person to talk popper with uh i know that we're a legacy podcast but i've just been having a blast playing that recently yeah uh so i'm, I'm actually moving that video up to tomorrow because the deck that i played with uh boros bully was the deck that won one of the challenges over the weekend so I'm going to try to ride that high and uh, get that video up. Yeah, I posted a screenshot of what was perhaps one of the sickest mid-combat blowouts I've ever had in all of Magic. It was nice. I, I, I forget the exact number, but I attacked a 3-3 into like a 34-34 or something fucking ridiculous like that. And I won that combat interaction with one card. So yeah, Popper's great. So Phil, you're just going to rub my nose in it that I lost to that person who went on to win the challenge over the weekend? I didn't even know that. Yeah, I lost in top four. Daggers. Yeah, Popper's great. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think uh, a healthy Popper format is as good or better than a healthy Legacy format. And currently, they're both kind of unhealthy, but Popper is in a better place than Legacy. Popper is Legacy without the bullshit. Like You get all the depth of decision making. You get cool interactions. You get Brainstorm. You get uh, Storm cards. Like there, There's powerful stuff. But there's also no Chalice of the Void, no Show and Tell, no Planeswalkers, no Uro. Like, you have, you need like both high legacy skills and high limited skills to succeed in Popper, and it's just a beautiful marriage of uh, high skill magic. Yep, that's more or less exactly how I ended up describing it after talking to a couple of people and playing that first league. Like your magic fundamentals are so rewarded because there's so many like. I have a grizzly bear. You have a couple of 1-1 situations where you have to like start thinking about like, all right, am I attacking? Am I blocking? Are they trading? What can they have? Very satisfying format. Also, I think the skill ceiling in the format is absolutely absurdly high because so many of these decks are grinding the smallest incremental possible advantages with things like I play a land that gives me a life when it enters play. I bounce it with my bounce land. I replay it again. There's so many just like tiny things of that value that are going to add up over a grindy game. Right. My main deck in Popper is the fairy shell, like Spellstutter Sprite. You pick it up with Ninja the Deep Hours and then you draw a card and then you can Spellstutter Sprite something else. And that shell has taken on many lives since the printing of Spellstutter Sprite. Currently, blue-black is the best one, but blue-red I ran for a long time. 
and you just had to plan for like the bottom five cards of your deck in some matchups where like it used to be a Delver deck and I I think I was the one who cut Delver first or at least I was a big proponent of that I was like this is the worst card in the deck by a lot it doesn't do anything but I would have like turn one Delver against Tron and they would flame slash it on turn two and I'm looking at my hand of like counterspell counterspell spell stutter sprite counterspell and I'm like yeah that resolves <laughs> like that's not the fight like I'll hit something better with this on like turn nine and you just never fight over anything. And eventually they're hellbent and you have a single fairy miscreant attacking for one per turn and your hand is seven counter spells and it's just, and they have infinite mana because they're just fucking Tron and it's turn 30. But yeah, like those games are so satisfying. I think that Popper is the lowest variance constructed magic format, certainly the lowest variance eternal format. I will say one thing. I think the formats are really unexplored. Not that, you know, popper players haven't done a great job exploring what there is already, but there's just not enough eyes on the format in general. So when I started playing popper, I was asked to try the cycle storm deck. And if you looked at that initial list from what I played that was very stock at the time to what I've turned it into now, it's very different. And just having more people working on it or, you know, people that specialize in a certain archetype working on the archetype that you like, you're going to get good things to happen. So over the last six months, Cycle Storm has changed quite a bit, and you could be that influence on another popper archetype with your legacy knowledge. Yep, definitely. Uh, say, same thing. I just touched it a little bit, but like, is it Delver was the number one deck, and I played like a few rounds with it and i was like delver sucks this should just be uh stormbound geist in the main deck which is functionally true name nemesis and popper that card's unkillable and like that became stock i haven't seen a delver in a popper deck in a long time i played against one yesterday Yikes. yeah mono blue's been picking up a little bit they didn't know there's two mono blue oh, and right. mono blue still plays yeah. delver yeah that's true okay so for other magic related stuff i had an editing oopsie for the first time not just like a oh i just cut that off a little bit sort of one I, I ran a mid-roll ad that I manually made for the first time, and when I threw it into the editor, I think I overlapped it a tiny bit. So I had this absolutely hype moment. Um, what's the green-green one card that destroys all artifacts and then gives people some uh, life? Seeds of Innocence? Yeah, Seeds of Innocence. I just played this Seeds of Innocent. I'm like cackling maniacally, and then it just cuts to my mid-roll ad like, hey, if you've been watching the video for this long, <laughs> and everyone just lost their minds because I just got like this 10 for one, and then I ran that ad in the next round started, and I was just like, oh no. Oh, I ruined a moment. It, and it has to be that moment. It's not like when you're already like, your opponent's in the middle of their storm combo that you're F6 through. Like, it, it has to be a good moment. While we're uh, talking about mid-rolls, shout out to Brian. I recently started making my own. Brian in our last episode talked about how uh, if you're still watching, blah, blah, blah. I started doing that, but I also started doing those for other services that the Epic Storm offers. So, Brian, thank you. You're an inspiration. Yeah, no worries. Uh, I finally updated mine, the one that uh, I was advertising my TCG player affiliation wrong. Like, I, I thought it was a code you enter, but you actually have to click the link. I think I've mentioned that on the cast before, but I finally reshot my mid-roll. And my, some of my Patreons are getting kind of aggro about it. They're like, it's your cash flow. You need to fix this. You're losing money every day you don't fix this. I'll fix it for you. How do I do it? It's like, <laughs> okay, guys. All right. I'll do it. I'll do it. But it really did take me like an hour and a half to fix that 20-second ad roll. Like, it, the editing process, which is part of what we're going to talk about tonight. I'll, I'll save that for later, but what you see, uh, it's the tip of the iceberg. I think I'm going to put together an end of the year video where I just kind of like go over like my top 10, you know, videos of the year. 
not in terms of views, but just in terms of like things that I thought were interesting or fun or personally meaningful for some reason and just kind of reflect on the year. And I sat down, I made my notes for that. And then I went like, am I actually doing this? Am I going to do all this editing? I think about that all the time, Phil. But every every time I go to start one of those, it's just like, all right, how how many shots is this going to be? How how deep am I going? It's rough. Uh, the deep analysis webcast that I did, I did three episodes for, and it it's close to twelve hours of work for one hour of content. Like the way that I edited it, like every time someone mentions a card, I put that card up on the screen, and like outrageous amount of work. And they got significant. They got steadily fewer views. The first one got like one and a half k views. The second one got one. The third one got like eight hundred. And I was just like, "Nope, done with this." I think it's a great thing. It's a great piece of content, but can't can't justify the time. Speaking of end of the year things, every single year I scan my Magic the Gathering decks and I upload them to theepicstorm.com. This year is going to be the first year where I also do video talking over the cards. Like, hey, I got this card signed this way this card's meaningful because of xyz and i'm really looking forward to doing that but i'm also just like kind of terrified at how much work it's going to be because i've doubled the amount of decks i have this year because i started playing all these extra formats so right now i'm looking at 10 decks that i have to scan and upload and then do voiceover for 10 decks and i'm just kind of paranoid about it and i'm going to like be releasing double videos for two weeks a lot of work hmm. i just realized i probably have like some star city games store credit still i can just like straight up buy a popper deck yeah easily i'm glad you have 20 dollars, phil yeah and, and popper i i phil i don't know if you are uh suspect or susceptible to the foil bug at all the idea of foiling out your popper deck be careful when you <laughs> go down that road because you're like oh it's all commons this will be cheap and then you run into like 200 counter spells $120 snuff outs just the things that jump out of the woodwork where you're just like oh no especially if you've already bought like 20 foils for the deck and you're like do I just put these 20 foils back into my binder and never use them or do I just put the pedal to the metal for the other 55 cards there's also the fact that Brian I have two Japanese foil popper decks but I can't find a fourth Japanese foil reach through mist it just doesn't exist I've searched high and low sometimes you just can't find these cards yeah the the Japanese adds a, a certain layer of of it to to yours uh but b between like t i think tcg player i mean hashtag sponsored but also it's true like tcg player doing a, a foil filter on a search generally like that'll find like the one random person who has the thing if you are using the big websites like star city or channel fireball or whatever trying to find random foils it's a lot harder than just combing all people who own cards on tcg player i lived that life for years where i was like nobody has the card and it's like oh yeah tcg player there's 25 around the country that i can store it right now yeah i've checked tcg every haruya star city um card market like i've searched high and low like once one surfaces i will own it i don't know how much my number is right now but i will own it if you're listening to the cast this is your chance to move your Japanese foil reach through myths for an outrageous sum. Bryant just said he will own it. It's true. Speaking of outrageous sums and foil decks, I left my house this week, like put on clothes and got in my car specifically to go play EDH, which is not something I've done since college, probably. And I'm old. So that was like over 10 years ago. And I genuinely had a blast. I built these decks over... The COVID quarantine, just sort of a boredom project, like how do I stay engaged with physical magic cards? And I just built a couple of EDH decks. 
and I built them to be casually power level appropriate, like no no two card combos. The if there's any tutors at all, they're like Primal Command or Koldotha Forge Master. There's no like demonic tutor kind of stuff. And like the power level I built to really held up, and it was a delight. The three people I was playing against are in a play group where they have a hundred dollar limit and a tribal rule. Like your commander has to be a tribe and every creature in your deck has to match a chosen tribe like if your thing is a goblin shaman you have to pick goblin or shaman like they're pretty strict you you can't play goblins or shamans so like uh pretty strict tribal rules hundred dollar budget i played against three of these people and my no budget no limits foiled out insano optimized decks were appropriately competitive in that group just because i built them to that power level and it was just like really satisfying to pay out with a good play experience uh but because I showed restraint and deck building, and it, it was a great time. It was at Black Lotus Pizza, by the way, which is a place that opened recently in Pittsburgh. And based on the name, you guessed it, it's a gaming pizza store. And the owners like magic, and they, they host a commander night every Thursday that I think there were like 30 people in the store, like no seat was empty. It was pretty awesome. It was the first time I actually got to go out there. That's right, really and cool. I have a question for you. As someone who is into EDH, like I own a deck technically, but like I think I've used it once in the last three years. How much, because as a content creator, you'd ideally want to play EDH on Magic Online to easily record it. But whenever I see people streaming Commander or EDH on Twitch, it's always paper play. How much of it is people like to watch paper against, hey, I have these sweet foil cards that I want to show off, or I built this deck using actual cards like how much of it is the physical magic aspect that people care about versus watching moto i i believe that the commander community at large doesn't touch magic online the first time i tried to recruit for a cdh video i got a donation deck someone was like this is my cedh deck and i just tweeted like who's in the cedh community that would want to do a content collab with me i need three opponents and I got like 20, 30 responses and I was like, and I DM'd each of them. I was like, okay, it's on Magic Online. And they're like, oh, sorry, I'm out. Like across the board. Like I had to recruit like Jarvis, who uh, just obviously has Magic Online and is smart, uh, but didn't really know the format. And then one person bought a Mana Traders account or a card hoarder or whatever just to participate in this. And like the third person had like really had to twist their arm to get them involved and it, it was just like really it went from huge to zero basically of people who are in touch with magic online and i have found that like since recording that video i've gone like deeper and deeper into the edh community and peeled back the layers of who's into what and i found that once you leave like the the most vocal people like once you're no longer sheldon Mennery proxies are a huge part of the format like there's the max bling people who just want the blinged out everything and showing that off is obviously worth something and then there's the people who are just like i just learned about magic three months ago i don't have eight thousand dollars how can i play this format and the answer is proxies and there's a ton of proxy artists and proxy makers in the edh community and most of them will make proxies for the price of materials and shipping for you uh, just to get their art out there and it, it the idea of buying into magic is too much for most of these people so the idea of buying into magic online is just completely alien to them so uh that's where you end up with the the paper stuff that was a good answer 
Yeah, I feel like I talked for like 45 minutes just now, and I, I don't know if it was all coherent. I sort of blacked out and found myself in the middle of that. Yeah, so a normal podcast episode then. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Have we, We've been recording for three and a half hours already, right? We can shut it down. Uh, but yeah, uh, paper play is heavily, heavily entrenched in the EDH community, and I have fired lobbies on Magic Online. There are people who queue into the lobbies. I've probably queued into 30 lobbies total in Moto EDH just with randos, and I think I've finished four games. Because like someone will just see a card they don't like and quit, or whatever, just say nothing, goodbye, and they're gone. Or uh, someone like queues up and then misses their third land drop, and then they just don't quit. They just time out. They just walk away from their computer. And like <sighs> there, there's nothing... Like, in league play, there's at least something on the line. Like, it is worth something for someone to continue the game or concede if they're dead. Like, let's get to the next match. Let's get to the next game. Your clock is running. Like, whatever. But in, like, a full casual format rando lobby, it's the Wild West, and I I have stopped doing that. That makes sense. Speaking of returning to paper play, I played in a 5K over the weekend. It was modern, and... It's so weird to be back at larger events. I know we all went to one over the summer, but it was just strange being back because it's been months since I've been at another large paper event. And the store uh, that I used to go to quite a bit bought a Pier 1 Imports or a former Pier 1 Imports and redid it. And now it's just the nicest game store I've ever been to. Granted, I've never been to a Mox Boarding House. I hear they're very nice. I've never been to one. I'm sorry. But this place was gigantic, and they filled it all very nicely. Like, it didn't feel empty. Huge play space. And I had a sweet time. I don't know. That's my story. All right. Um, Do we have anything we want to say as far as other introductory stuff and magic stuff goes, or are we ready to kind of get into it? Let's do it. Oh, I, I forgot. I was going to I was gonna mention this earlier. It's not really magic, but Storybook Ball which has been pretty popular among a bunch of Magic players lately because it was designed by Magic players. Uh, I queued for their monthly PTQ this month, and I'm probably going to record it, and I'm deciding if I'm going to like use a release day for it or just drop it on a Sunday or whatever where it wouldn't eat up a normal slot. But if you are interested in that game or have played it, I'm likely going to record myself playing three lobbies in this PTQ this coming Saturday. So I know that we've talked about it a little bit in the past, Brian, but I was doing those uh, Quick Bolt videos, and they really messed with my algorithm. And for a couple of weeks, I had videos that I thought would be bangers that just tanked. And I feel like it's because I was uploading those videos that like were getting half the views. And once I stopped doing that, all the views, the videos that I thought would be great, you know, they rose again. So I'm beginning to understand, or now I understand why there's some people out there. Like if you're familiar with MTG Remy, you might not know they have a whole nother YouTube channel for non-magic things that has like 180,000 subscribers. And now I see why people do the separate channels for different games and stuff like that. Just throwing that out there. Yep. I I publish members-only videos for things that I specifically think will not get clicks. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, like the idea of spending a whole Saturday morning not monetizing content seems like a spew to me. So I, I felt like I should record it. I also got in on the early like uh streamer support for storybook brawl where they sent me a bunch of codes that you can use for like heroes and stuff and i've just had these 10 codes sitting in my inbox for two and a half months or whatever because i haven't had a venue to spew them off so i I might just release the video on a sunday or whatever and 
Like here, here's this if you care. If not, you know, I'll never do this again. I hope it's by far your most successful video. Like you get like forty thousand <laughs> yeah, just... video views or something. Yep. <laughs> yep. Twenty million views. Uh, the storybook world community going nuts. All right, Phil. So what are we talking about today? All right. So every couple of months, someone says, "Screw this format. I'm going to make my own format." or something of that general nature. And today we wanted to talk about, well, what does it take to do that? How much work does it take to make a community-driven project happen? You know, say you want to make a new format and have it actually catch on. Or say you want to make your own magic website. You want to start writing articles. You want to start recording videos. What sort of stuff goes into that? You know, what kind of work is required? And we're just going to kind of give you some sort of behind-the-scenes information that we have as website owners, authors, people who are recording leagues, people who have been involved with major projects, like, say, the Legacy Premier League that require a lot of um, communication, sometimes across international borders, and kind of give you all some perspective. I don't know. And we're going to try really hard not to make this a content creator thing like that's an angle we're coming from but we're not going to get into the weeds on that that hopefully this will be more on like the you know educational if you are going to go down this road expect to spend this many hours rather than like the nuts and bolts of what you're going to be doing once you're in those eight hours so like uh that's if before you turn off the podcast because you don't want to hear about us making youtube videos again uh this is going to be slightly different yeah this is not a how to this is more of a how much um and we're going to try to give you some hard numbers for perspective phil i i mean it sounds pretty easy to me what you do is you write a post on reddit and then you talk about how your favorite 30 legacy content creators will run the ban list and then you just walk away right like that's all it's got to be all right so let's let's get into the nitty-gritty so let let's start with writing a professional quality article let's say you know the sort of article that could end up on like one of our websites or mtg goldfish or something like that Let's set the stage a little bit for this. Like, you have decided that Expressive Iteration and Ragavan and Days are too good for Legacy, and you're sick of Watsi not taking action on it, and you are going to make your own Legacy format without those three cards. Maybe pick three more cards, too. Like, hit Thassa's Oracle, hit whatever, and, like, Legacy's better with these six cards gone, and we're going to unban Mind Twist and these and earthcraft and these kind of embarrassing cards that are banned like this is new legacy it's 10 cards different than old legacy and we're going to make tournaments and stuff happen and we're going to work on this format as a community and this is my website where we're going to do that now you have to fill it with content so now that that picture is painted carry on phil what does the first article look like the epic legacy yes the epic legacy okay so i I used to roughly time my the amount of time it took me to write articles back when I was like very consistently doing so and I was pumping out like an article a week for Thraben University at least. So for a decent sized article that might take you say 10 minutes to read through that's probably 8 hours of work between like coming up with the idea, brainstorming your order, kind of making your outline, going through writing it, editing it probably about eight times because you have no idea how many things you no idea how much stuff you missed the first couple pass through passes through, going in, tagging the cards afterwards, 
um, just kind of doing the formatting and all that sort of stuff. Um, Bryant, how does this compare to your experiences? Because you, you probably write more these days than I do. I do, but so much of that isn't me anymore. Like the Epic Storm has an editor who does a great job. Alex McKinley built a card hover that's automatic for the site, so we don't have to do that anymore. But 2016 Bryant would agree that eight hours was about accurate. Yep, and I I would also co-sign that number. Um, I've written for Star City Games. Uh, I've written for Black Magic Gaming and uh, a couple other places that you may or may not have heard of. But I also have written comment content out there and i usually sit down and it's like a day it's like a whole day where i like sit down in the morning start typing my thoughts and then comb through it uh for the second draft and then fix just like the the grammar and construction of the the article and then i start like refining thoughts like changing the content of the article too because i'm going through it for the third time and by the time i send it off everywhere i've sent it has an editor uh, and by the time I send it off to them, I'm probably eight to 10 hours into that before they even touch it. Yeah. And let's say that someone else has sent you a finished article. It, it's not ready to go on the website when you get it. Um, I've, I've done guest content before, and the quality that you get from someone varies wildly. And probably at the lower end... I usually spend about four hours editing something that someone has sent me doing all of the formatting. Sometimes I have to go back and forth with them and say like, okay, I understand roughly what, what your point was, but is this what you mean? Like after I edited this, does this still say what you originally wanted it to say? I agree so much with that, Phil. I received a tournament report recently from a fan of the Epic Storm. One of the best tournament reports that I've received from someone that was ready to go and chew the site directly. Like, I gave them the tournament report template. They did a killer job. I edited it, and then I had our editor review it. The combination between the two of us was probably five hours of just editing. Then compare that to a deck tech that I received about a year ago where I spent six hours and then two other people also edited it for about eight hours each. So sometimes it can take 20 hours worth of editing if it's not well refined. So it scales or varies quite a bit. Also, just because you're a good magic player does not mean that you can articulate yourself well in article form. Um, I have worked with some absolutely brilliant magic players who sent me an article and I was just like, oh no, I, I can't use this as is. This is going to be so much work to to polish this and turn this around. Like articulating yourself well in writing is very different from like, okay, they're at 20 life. I can deal 18 points of damage this turn based on these number of lightning bolts remaining in my deck. I have these many outs to kill them. You know, there's very different skills at work here. So you might feel like you have, you know, your your finger to the pulse of the format. You know exactly what's going on. You know exactly how you want this format to be. Can you express that in writing in a way that's going to be appealing to other people and want them to play? And want to read your worth, stuff? If you're not good at that, write anyway. Uh, I just don't want people to be discouraged. Like, I am so glad that I wrote garbage articles for years. Not because I thought that they were bad. I just wasn't good at writing. So, Jupiter Games, I apologize. I was a terrible writer then. I'm still not a great writer now, but I'm certainly better than I was. Just keep at it. Yeah, my first writing gig was for a store that has now disbanded. 
and I'm kind of glad because that means there's not evidence around of my early articles because like oh god they sucked in comparison to what I do now yeah if you look back um over the history of magic articles the a lot of the best writers the people who like really stick in your brain years later were not even good magic players like magic content versus magic strategic content and then like the overlap in between can be really tough to balance like i think about john friggin rizzo who is one of if you're of my generation in like the early 2000s mid 2000s on star city john friggin rizzo his articles were so good that when i started really reading them i went back and reread his whole archive and i would actually like be sitting in my college dorm like belly laughing at his how good of a writer he was and the things he could convey in writing and to my knowledge he never won a tournament in his entire life and uh he is credited for figuring out that golgari grave troll might be good with icarid but someone else did all the other work to actually make that attack uh like that's why the original dredge deck was called frigarid it was after john friggin rizzo but that was refined later by better players but uh, like overall he was just like he he refused to split which never mattered because he was never playing a win and in for top eight uh never conceded uh hated limited like basically just kind of seemed like a miserable person to have in your play group but his writing was so fucking good that uh, like that sort of person just sticks with you and you need those sort of people too so if you're just like recruiting for your writer stable from the people who top aided the last tournament you might be going ar- about it wrong and I guess all that assumes you had eight people to fire your tournament, which is another conversation to have about this format that you're trying to make happen. So, uh, like, writing writing is hard. All right. Well, why don't we briefly address video next, then? So all of us obviously record videos all, all the time. Most people think, at the surface level, it's like, oh, it's it's the two or three hours that it takes to record the league. That's it. No, it's it's not. There's at minimum another hour of editing, uploading, posting, making thumbnails, and so forth. Um, and here, just just watch. This will probably show it off well. All right, Bryant, start to finish. How many different programs do you use to record a league and get it uploaded to YouTube? Four. There we go. Yeah. Should I list them or like? No, nah, you you don't have to list them. Okay. Uh, but you know. You're going to use a recording program. You're going to use a video editing program that is probably different from that. You are going to use some sort of Photoshop thing. Uh, and if you're getting really fancy, you might uh, do something else to to muck with the, the sound, cut out some dead time, so on and so forth. And each one of these things requires a different skill set to do if you want to do it, you know, beyond just like the super introductory level. Plus, you don't just appear in front of your computer ready to hit record. Like, you have to select a content topic, find a playable list, have something to say about that list. Like, all of that, put those cards into your Moto account, whether you need to shop around bots, whether you go through Card Hoarder. Like, all of that takes time as well. Okay. And after you've recorded your league, you probably need to do some marketing, right? Like, you need to get people hyped up for this. I, I want you to imagine a, a high-profile event of some kind. You know, your SCG cons, uh, your, you know, your Grand Prix, or even at a, you know, more legacy-relevant level, 
something like the Legacy Premier League or the, the Vintage Super League or you know, whatever you want to do. It takes so much time to make something as simple as a hype trailer. Brian has has done some really cool stuff with things like deep analysis and anything that requires real editing beyond splicing two videos together is hard and very time consuming. Um, often beyond the level of just like a basic user who just picks up something. Yeah, Phil was on an episode of deep analysis, uh, one of the three that made it to to print. And even before I had something in the can to edit later. Like, Phil, how long did I spend, like, clicking around on Discord, trying to move our heads into the appropriate boxes on my uh, my streaming template, which the streaming template, I had to pay someone to build to make sense for the content. Like, there's a lot of stuff that goes in before you're even at the stage where you think about how much time it's going to take to edit. Also, how many pages of notes did we have before we even started that interview? Three? Oh, a ton. Three? Four? It was yeah. a lot. Yeah. Right. And uh and it was me, you and Dugs on Twitch were our were the guests and Dugs lives in Australia, so we were playing like uh international tag with time zones trying to get this thing scheduled at a time where we could all be coherent as well as like you and I would add to the notes, then we'd go to bed and wake up and there'd be new notes from Dugs in there, then we'd note his notes, go to bed and then like He'd comment while we were sleeping and like just so many, so many, uh, it's just whack-a-mole trying to get these things done. I do really want to take a minute to praise Julian for coordinating the Legacy Premier League. Uh, I don't know how he stayed awake through the entire thing, if I'm being honest. Uh, he he was a, a madman. I, I think those things usually ended like, I don't know, 3 or 4 a.m. his time. Like they, they ended very, very late, maybe later than that, honestly. Yeah, I've been in, I've participated in two of those leagues. I played in the Vintage Super League and the Pauper Premier League. The Vintage Super League was the most professional one. It was literally done by Watsi's video performer producer. I don't know actually what her title is, but uh, Athena Froelich. She was behind the scenes on that. And it had Watsi's full support. And that thing, it, it worked on West Coast time, so it was already nighttime for me. We had Europeans in the league. It, it was like early morning for them. And just uh, making the executive decision of like, do we split the difference, run it on like East Coast time? Do we pick a spot in the middle of the ocean and make everyone mildly inconvenient? Do we just say we're based in Seattle, so we're doing it that way? Like all of that stuff. Uh, and, and that's just to get the ball rolling and troubleshooting someone's mic when they're already live or the countdown it's like all right and we're cutting to the match and then you realize one of the hand cams isn't there and just having to figure all that out like that's a high skill thing that you need a dedicated human to be doing it's not just like all right you fire up moto i'll fire up mine and we play some matches yeah shout out to julian for all the technical stuff in the background too it just like it goes like unsaid but so many people you would be in the chat and they'd just be like why isn't this working yet like there's so much that goes into these things that sometimes the little things slip that's all i'm trying to say here not doing a very good job but we we literally melted a computer during one of the episodes of the legacy premier league uh like from working it too hard like we had to get like a, another part emergency sh emergency shipped in before the next episode um so so yeah there's 
there's some crazy stuff going on behind the scenes. And by the way, coordinating something like a podcast episode with three people is sometimes a little annoying. Something comes up, you have to reschedule. We've got three sets of schedules. Now imagine doing that with like 20 people or something like that. Uh, it, get, it gets Across wild. Across the world. Yeah, we all live in the same time zone. We all work pretty normal nine to five sort of hours. And it's still like, we're recording this week on Monday night. We normally record on Tuesdays because my girlfriend has her work Christmas party tomorrow night. And uh, these guys, uh, luckily, were able to move it to another night. But and we're all busy. Like I, I usually fill in my nights around this. I actually had a, an appointment canceled tonight, which is the reason we were able to do this at all. And like that's three dudes with normal schedules who live in the same time zone. It really is crazy to coordinate that sort of thing. Yeah, like for the rest of this week, I have like two tutoring sessions booked for the evening. I have D&D one session. I've got to spend a night with my girlfriend in there, you know, because like real life relationships are important and whatnot. It's crazy how busy your life can become when you do content creation and you try to monetize your off time. But that's that's yeah, a different I, episode entirely. Yep. The, uh, we we all work two jobs and there, there's no way to sugarcoat. Like we have all chosen to work two jobs and uh, it comes with all of the attachments of that. But the next thing I want to ask about, because I recently purchased BoshandRoll.com and don't go there yet. There's nothing there. But gentlemen... You both run websites. What's what's it going to take for me to get bostonroll.com to a functional, clickable place people would want to go? All right. Do you want to talk to the novice first, or do you want to talk to the person who actually knows what they're doing? Uh, let I know Bryant is just really in there talking about like upgrading like the site uh, ping speed and shit, which I don't even know what that means. But like, as far as just like if I want like a 1997 like. Yahoo website to just pop up and be like a picture of me with a link to my link tree or something like what would it take to get you know bostonroll.com to uh, send someone where I want them to go so I am a professional web designer slash developer most people go to I don't know what Brian did but most people are let me go to GoDaddy I'm gonna buy this URL that is step number one from there you don't actually have anywhere to put your files so you have to sign up for hosting and that's where you would then connect your DNS to your hosting. So that way, BostonRoll.com actually goes somewhere. Because otherwise, you're just going to get this page that loads that says there's nothing there. So from there, you upload your file. So your index.html, whatever. And from there, you can upload folders. Your, it's basically your directory. This is a pretty dumbed-down version of it. But that's how you get your 1997 rainbow background with Black Lotus on it. I'm relieved you dumbed it down for me because I still didn't understand 75% of the words you just said. Like, just being totally honest, I don't come from a tech background. I don't come from a web design background. And I don't know what DNS stands for. I don't know, like, uh, when you talk about, like, that's where you drop your files. I'm picturing, like, a Windows, like, uh, I just click and drag into a different file. Like, I, I click create new folder and then put my stuff in there. But I'm sure that's not what you mean. It's sort of similar. The DNS is just telling like i forget what it actually stands for off the top of my head but it's basically just like there's seven servers in the world where the internet essentially lives and you're telling those seven servers this is where this domain so boshenroll.com lives so they know where to look for the file tree and the file tree really is just like a series of folders that you have different files living in so it's kind of your 1997 browser or whatever yeah so to do the teacher version of this and explain this in the simplest way possible 
Uh, there's this thing called WordPress that you can do that basically gives you like website shells in a box. And if you want to do the drag and drop sort of thing and do things in a very basic way, very quickly, there are sort of templates out there that exist that you can say like, ah, okay, I like one of these 12 set things. I'll just kind of change the names of some stuff and you can, you can get going quickly. It's when you actually want to edit anything in a way that they don't preset it for you to do that you have to start actually knowing what you're doing and then like maybe do something that resembles coding. So it's also worth noting, there's a bunch of other free things out there other than WordPress. So Wix.com, for example, most people that come to me and ask me for a website, they really just want a Wix site. Like I just tell them, hey, you're looking for a site for $400, go to Wix. Uh, it's a free drag and drop website. Anyone can use it. Uh, you see those ads that are like, Carly Kloss, I sell makeup, go out of my Wix page. Like, it's meant for the average person to do their thing. So it's also worth checking out sites like that. So you just said $400 website and it's free in the same sentence. What does it actually cost to get a basic website running? Well, Wix is free, but so many people don't actually understand how much websites cost. So they're like, oh, I was only looking to spend $400 or whatever, where that's just like not even worth me looking at whatever you want them to do. I, I probably pay about $20 a month for everything I do with my website. I want to say the epicstorm.com, the domain and hosting is roughly $400 a year. Uh, like I'm also on a very fast private server. So I don't know. It, it varies. Yeah, the, the, the website can be free. Like there are things like Google Sites that you can do that have limited functionality. but if you get to the point where you have a decent audience size, you, you will crash a lot of the free stuff. Uh, trust me, I crashed some of the paid stuff. Like when I first released Thraben oh, no. University, I, I crashed it about 10 times on day one because I got so much traffic. I think if Yikes. I could go back right now, I'm on a different hosting provider. But if I could go back in time, I'd probably do Amazon Web Services. It's just the best thing out there right now. And it's very customizable. That said, I'm not looking to move my entire website at this point but if you're thinking about it definitely check out amazon yeah that that's what i use i've been i've been very happy with it with the exception of one weekend where everything kind of shat itself but they were like hey this is on us this is happening it'll be fixed soon all right so why don't we hop back into this imaginary format the epic legacy and you've decided that you have your 10 cards you've built a website you have people writing for you now in this hypothetical world so now you have to go through and do a bunch of the stuff that people don't think about you have to go claim your discord server you have to make a twitter uh a youtube page all this stuff that takes a lot of time uh that sometimes just gets overlooked like I didn't claim the Storm Discord back when Discord was first popping up. So I actually bought the Storm Discord two months ago. I spent $300 on it. So sometimes if you don't get that stuff early, you end up paying for it later, unfortunately. So you have to be quick. So if you want to do the epic legacy, uh, it's just the joke that I'm calling it. But if you want to do that, you really do have to be quick to claim things because people are going to go out there and do it first. Uh, I want to say, if you think about it from a sports reference, the Red Sox announced that they bought a spring training facility in Florida roughly three years ago. Some guy read the headline, Googled the ballpark name, saw that it was available and bought it. The Red Sox ended up buying it back off this person for roughly a million dollars. All the person did was quickly Google and buy the domain. Beautiful. Yeah, that's that's so crazy. And like, I honestly have like a moment of fear every time that I'm like, oh, like I had. I've had a number of good Samaritans be like, hey, BostonRoll.com is still available. I'm sure someone could have been like, hey, you're, 
YouTube's getting pretty big. Do you want BoshAndRoll.com? I own it. I'll sell it to you. And they could have done that easily, and I probably would have fell for it. Or I would have just never had a website. And, like, that's out there, uh, and not everyone has good intentions. And, like, every time I log into a new game or start a new file in something, I'm like, if someone took the username Bosch and Roll, I'm going to lose my fucking shit. And, and like, I, I don't know. Like, at some point, there will be a critical mass where, like, some asshole will be like, I'm going to mess with Bosch and Roll. I know he wants to play this new game. Uh, and, like, trolls get into that. I probably shouldn't have said this out loud because now someone's going to go do it. But, like, that is, like, a moment of concern that I have. And if you're trying to claim something completely normal sounding like a storm discord or a legacy mtg legacy subreddit like it's gone it's done someone already has it good luck it's worth noting yeah. that the twitter account bryant cook has been suspended since 2012 i do not own it i've contacted twitter and they're just like nope we can't give anyone suspended accounts i just want the handle that account hasn't existed for a decade but it's gone forever because somebody wanted to pretend to be me at some point all right so you've made your Discord. Now what? You need to set a set of rules and expectations for that Discord. Why does it matter? Well, have you ever been on the internet? Have you ever just, like, walked into a toxic chat? If you don't set expectations for your community, your community is just going to do whatever it wants, and sometimes it's, it's not pretty. So, like, if you want to, like, take something and make it serious, make it professional, make it be something that's lasting... Like, you, you have to enforce rules in that community. You have to find a mod team to enforce those rules as well. I have a very personal, very relevant story to this. There is a Bosch and Roll Discord server. It is accessible through Patreon or YouTube membership. So everyone in there is paying to be there. And to me, it was like, oh, there's only like, at first it was like, oh, there's only like 50 people in here. They're all paying for the privilege. No one's going to fuck this up. And then it was like, there's a hundred people in here. That's still pretty small. They're all paying for the privilege. Nobody's going to fuck this up. And then one of my longer serving members messaged me one day and he was like, hey, I am a mod in a number of discords. I'm a mod in like Reed Duke's Twitch chat. And like, uh, I'm very online and I have this skill set if you ever need it. And I was just like, yeah, thanks. But I don't think I'm going to. Like, It's just, you know, people are paying to be here. Why would they mess it up? And then... One night, not even a month later, I went to bed and I woke up to just my Discord in flames because one person decided to get on a high horse about some topic. I don't even remember what it was. Uh, I think it might have been like if Delver should be banned. It was like it, it was banned adjacent and they basically would not back down, would not let anyone change the subject. I had multiple people who had been subbed to me like since the beginning, like really long term supporters who i really respect and appreciate who were like i'm leaving the discord let me know when this is resolved and they like logged out or silenced it and they were just gone and then i had to like reach out and damage control those people and i messaged uh that community member later and i was like hey i think i need a mod and his first act as a mod was to deputize another mod who is also uh, a practiced mod like this is a skill set and as soon as I had two mods in my Discord, I suddenly had eyes on things that I didn't know were problems. Like they would, they started a mod channel for the three of us, and they were like, "Hey, uh, some people are joining from Patreon, and their roles aren't auto syncing, so they can't actually talk." 
And I was like, what? How long has this been going on? How many people quit my Patreon because they couldn't get Discord access? I didn't even know this was happening. Or they they like installed bots where you can like, you know, call up magic cards at will or like sections of the comp rules. Like I didn't know to do any of that. Like these people have skills in addition to just keeping the peace, which uh, like there's a lot of value added. And I am currently trying to figure out what I want to do for my two mods for the end of the year. Uh, like I want to thank them somehow and I'm brainstorming ideas because it is a skill set and it is work and they do it for free and I'm very lucky to have them. But yeah, having mods, once your community hits any sort of critical mass, and the critical mass is basically as soon as there's an asshole, it could be six people, but if one of them is an asshole, you're done. Or, or it could be a hundred, but it really only takes one person to mess up the entire vibe. Yeah, and it can sometimes be something very small that needs to be removed immediately or it, it can cause a problem. So I'll I'll share one of mine. So there was a user who whenever someone joined, they would share this little welcome emote. And the first time I saw it, I didn't take any note of it. And then the second time I looked at it, I noticed that upon looking closer that it was like a woman's boobs. And it was like, welcome, C-U-M. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Like, absolutely, that just needs to get deleted. We're, we're not doing that sort of thing here. Ab absolutely not. And that was the sort of thing where like if i didn't remove that or if a mod didn't remove that like that would have either actively caused an issue or it would have like made someone potentially feel uncomfortable in a paid space that like is supposed to be me chatting with people that you know who enjoy what i've got going on i don't want to i don't want to promote stuff like that yep if that goes unchecked some number of people will silently leave and some other number of people will be silently emboldened to do more stuff like that. And that'll you'll just skew quickly in a direction that you don't want to go. So let's say you have all of this good stuff. You have your your channels created. You have your website. You're good to go. And now you're ready to get into the nitty gritty of creating your own format. So who's in charge of running the ban list? This is one of those things that I joked about in the beginning where you write this long Reddit post and you're like, my favorite 30 legacy content creators are going to be the people that select the ban list. Well, the problem is not a whole lot of people agree. I have very different views from Phil, for example, on some cards. Uh, Phil is very anti-Merktide, where I think a big dumb dragon is probably okay. I respect Phil as a person. That said, Phil, your opinion's wrong, and I hate you. Uh, not really, Phil, you're beautiful. Oh, but, yeah, of course. Uh, Look at me. Yeah, so... The problem is that these 30 individuals are not going to agree. And then there's some people out there that just hate certain cards without any real reasoning behind it. They're just like, I hate sinkhole and that card shouldn't be legal. When was the last time someone played a sinkhole against you? I mean, uh, you've, you you've maybe picked channel. the wrong card to name there, but like your point is taken. <laughs> the mono black boomers represent real hard. They, they love their sinkholes and pox and anything of that general nature. Original Team America. I have a local, and we all have some variation of this guy. This is a person I consider a friend who I like and respect, but he has a violent, angry, rageaholic reaction to the card show and tell. Like, you, he, you can beat him any other way, and he'll be like, okay, good game. But, like, show and tell, even if it was a good game, even if it's, like, turn seven and, like, he countered one already and then, like, you baited with some spell and then snuck the show and tell again— uh, even if you win with sneak attack, it's okay. But if you show and tell, he goes berserk. And like, 
what if you have that person on the 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 bandlet committee uh what if your format's not big enough to support like picking and choosing and what if you make the wrong choice and lose eight percent of your format or whatever like uh, you're trying to do something new and just the idea of rolling out the rules committee is it's political and you're gonna lose someone because everyone is there because they have strong opinions about how a format is managed good luck managing that format also keep in mind that a lot of people who are vocal about these issues aren't necessarily vocal in the best ways so for example in the Deathrite shaman era there was an individual on the legacy subreddit who was so anti-deathrite shaman that they made multiple reddit accounts that they used to upvote and post on their anti-deathrite shaman tirades to make it seem like more people were against deathrite shaman than actually were and then that got exposed and it was like oh big scandal yeah i'd like to circle yep. back does that, to does that guy get a seat on the the band committee something brian said yeah. where it's political especially in smaller formats because when there, we have some pre-existing uh formats that we'll, we'll talk about later but there's only a few hundred people that play them so if Sometimes the politics do get into it where somebody might join this format and go, fills um, uh, one of the, the seats that gets to pick the bannings. I'm not interested uh, over something completely unrelated. So there's also like pettiness that goes into it, but also maybe Phil is really anti-dark ritual, which would be a travesty. But what if this was the case? Which makes me playing this format that I might have had interest in a lot more difficult. Yeah, like Storm's fine. You just got to work harder. Dark Ritual's out. You know, play Reign of Filth. Good luck. We think that's better. Like, uh, how many people get lost in that that option right there? And people tend to enjoy formats for more than one reason. And a lot of times you're sculpting a new format for one particular reason. So if you're sculpting too closely for one niche need, like, you might end up making something that's really appealing to you and a handful of people like you but isn't going to draw a real audience and if you don't have a real audience what are you doing this for yeah i've said this a number of times before uh when we talk about bands and even when legacy's at its most unhealthy which i don't think we're there for the record like i still think this format's better than the dreadhorde arcanist and oko format we had 100 percent agree not close right so uh like the fact that all these people can have these opinions, but at the end of the day, somebody gets to make the real call and there is a right answer or there is a final answer, whether we think it's right or not. And at the end of the day, it's do you want to play sanctioned legacy tournaments or not? Like the sanctioning body gets that power. And as we all know, we, we all tilt left in our politics in this uh, on this cast, but there, there is value in authoritarianism in certain ways. Like it, you can certainly step back from your personal beliefs uh, about running a country in this fashion, but there is value to at some point someone saying, "Nope, this is how it is. Get with it or get out of the way." And ultimately, Watsi is that with the ban list, and we we can hem and haw, but if there's a legacy GP, most of us are still going to show up, Ragavan or not, and that is simply not the case without the clout of the sanctioning body like a true sanctioning body making these decisions like, uh, in your community run format uh if one person wants sinkhole band and the other wants to play for sinkhole 
they'll just go make their own format. Now you have half as many people, and and that's just it, it, it's a mess. Like eventually, like we're 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 getting into like you know geopolitical structures at this point, which uh, may seem absurd, but really at the end of the day, like this is a political engine supporting a format, and uh, authoritarianism has its power, and people who can leave authoritarian regimes tend to. But we are all beholden to one right now because we're legacy players. And uh, I think personally, I find comfort in that of I don't need to decide which version of legacy I want to play. I'm just going to play the one that Watsi gives us. It's worth noting that a lot of people host these no uh, brainstorm events or no this event. Or sometimes it's even just legacy outside of Magic Online, but it's also through like MTG Melee. I don't know about the two of you. But I don't sign up for those. Like, if it's not in Magic Online and it's not real Legacy, I'm just not interested. Uh, I understand that Legacy might not be terrific right now, but I'm just not interested in, like, signing up on Melee and then, like, having to find my opponents. And it just becomes so much more work where what Brian's describing is just very, very true, where I just want what's put in front of me. Okay, I I think I want to jump to a later bullet point, if that's okay, because you just kind of hit on something. Um, I'm going to jump to our practicality bullet point here. Magic Online has its issues, right? Like, I, I know I'm in the middle of a reimbursement ticket currently. I believe Bryant is as well. Uh, Magic Online fucks things up sometimes. It's still a really good program for what it does. Issues aside, Magic Online is the easiest way to play Magic Online with another person. And if you're going to run a format that is not hosted via Magic Online or even worse, cannot physically be played on Magic Online, you run into some real issues. So consider some of the formats that do something like, oh, we're going to play with damage on the stack. Magic Online physically can't do that. You can't play your format on Magic Online. Say you want to play with the old companion rule. That doesn't work on Magic Online. If your format is deviating from core Magic rules in some way, you lose out on a huge degree of accessibility and ease of play experience for your players. Pause, Phil. I love the idea of there being this time capsule format of people going like, there's only one real companion rule and it is the only one and I will only play that format. That sounds so awesome. I love it and I'm here for you. <laughs> Look, some people really enjoyed playing with their uh, their Zerta decks and they, they might want that back, you know? So uh, I'm going to go a little bit off topic here, but someone requested that I play Penny Dreadful League. And I was like, you know, I guess Mind's Desire is a four of in that format right now. Let me look into it. And then someone in our Discord requested that a sub Discord channel be made. Uh, another moderator made one. And I went to go like really dig into it. I'm like, I can't find it in Magic Online. And I started digging and digging. I'm like, it's on Goldfish. Clearly it's a real format. It's run through GitHub, which is a, pro a website slash program primarily for coders, developers, etc. But you can't actually just sign up for a Penny Dreadful League. And I was like, well, why is that supported by Goldfish? But things like middle school and old school and a bunch of these other things aren't. If we're going to add pretend formats, I'm sorry to you Penny Dreadful fans out there, to Goldfish, why isn't there all these other ones? Like, it just felt a little bit wrong to me. I actually have Penny Dreadful in our show notes later as a success story for community-driven formats. And what you just described is like the final test where uh, 
Moto hasn't sanctioned it yet, but it does have the community groundswell where that is on the verge of a possibility. Like I'm thinking of Commander six, seven years ago when it was called EDH before Watsi, it was like, okay, let's actually support this, call it Commander, make it a real thing. Penny Dreadful is a lot like pre-Commander EDH, where the community is there, they're dedicated, the format's actually good, there's true resources for it. Like all of the things that we've said so far uh, about what it would take to get your your format up and running, your community up and running, they've done. And I have played a non-zero amount of Petty Dreadful. I'm not huge into the format. Uh, the times I played it, it was fun, but I'm not like a, a Penny Dreadful guy or anything. But they have a website where you submit your deck list and your username, and then they have a bot in the Magic Online uh, free form room where if you do like exclamation point league or something uh, in your video description I, I, or your uh, your game description, I forget exactly what it is, but there's some code that triggers the bot. And then when you pair into each other, the bot will be like, welcome to this Penny Dreadful League. And then you submit your results on that separate website and they actually post five O's and, and stuff. And the community has some minor incentive. I think like the trophy leader gets something at the end of the, the month or end of the cycle. And there is like a real true community. There's a place you can go to read about this, to get deck lists, to actually fire tournaments. And you can find opponents very quickly too. Uh, you just have to do this one weird little workaround, but otherwise it's a completely supported format. And I would consider Penny Dreadful the model if you want to create the epic legacy. You have to look at what Penny Dreadful is doing and try to emulate that because they're actually out there doing the thing. Yes. So I have also been offered like, hey, will you play Penny Dreadful? And I went, yeah, if it's got magic on le line leagues, I'll play it. And they were like, oh, hold on a second. We, we can't. Well, kind of. Can't really do that exactly. I'm sure the two of you have also received requests like, why haven't you uploaded a middle school league yet? It's like, well, because yeah, you literally can't play it on Magic Online. It, you have to find five opponents willing to also build decks at and like it, it and line up time for them to all play against you. I guarantee if I did that, it would take at least four days to shoot the video one match at a time. It wouldn't be a significant thing, but the amount of time it would take to like, you know, fire a moto league, get it done in two hours in one sitting, edit it, it's ready to go versus like. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm free at three o'clock. Uh, my my next round is uh tomorrow at seven thirty, and get your five people to sit down on moto at the same time. That's why I have not recorded old school or middle school or pre modern or any of those things. All right. So, like, let's let's say you've gotten to the penny dreadful point, and like you actually have some some results. Like you have people playing, you have your five O's and whatnot. You have to start managing your band list. You have to look at data. You have to say, is a deck too good? How do I know they're too good? How much can I trust this data? How skewed is this data? And even with Magic Online, collecting data is really hard. Um, the legacy data collection project that gives us a, a ton of the results that we have for like challenges and stuff like that, uh, their job isn't easy. They're constantly looking for people to help. They tried to monetize... I'm not sure where they stand with that. I think they wanted to like put it on Patreon, took it off Patreon, did a Patreon uh, just for support, but not for access to the content. It, it is a struggle 
to get data in the first place, let alone be good enough to work with the data that you can analyze it, you know? Does the Epic Legacy have a Joe Dyer out there uh, organizing the troops to, like, watch replays and get matchup data? Because real Legacy, those people work their asses off. Like, where are you getting your data? Also, do you have a Jarvis who can analyze that data and say, well, no, actually what you're doing with the data here is wrong. Here's why it's wrong. Right. And what do you do about the Hello Newton who's like, uh, no, it's fine. Like, despite the data, I have found a way through this. Uh, shout out to Hello Newton, by the way. This isn't a jab. It's just like a real thing that's happening in our community. Like, everyone is like, you know, it's burning down. Legacy sucks. I don't want to play anymore. And Hello Newton's like, my constructed rating is 1958. Like, it's the highest constructed rating on Moto right now. I'm doing fine. Like, what do you do about that person? Uh, and like, what if that person is on your rules committee? Oh, baby. Uh, this is getting crazy. <laughs> I just stress myself out with that. <laughs> it's always tough to separate yourself from what's best from legacy. And I realize that some of the things that I might say on this podcast might be received as bias uh, because I'm the storm guy. But a lot of what we talk about here is in the best nature of our favorite format. Even though I'm the guy that loves casting right of flame, I'm not out here arguing against days because it's good against me. I think that it might be suppressing the entire format. I'm not here looking out for myself. I'm not going like, well, yes, if they ban days, I might win a challenge. It's not what I'm doing. So I think it's just good to always remember that not everyone's trying to be petty and jaded about this too yeah and there's a difference between i think this is what's best for the format and i think this is what would be most fun for the format and this is what i want the format to look like you've got to balance those needs yep and uh you are tainted from day one by the fact that you went and formed a new format based on what you want to do and at some point, if you and like there there will not be a an agnostic person involved. Every single person is there because they believe strongly they can do better than sanctioned legacy. And like the person who's just like, we are going to build a perfect format. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, it, it Are we going to balance until every deck has a 50 percent win rate against the field? Like that that sounds perfect. <laughs> and and that just becomes maddening. It's like, you know, uh the Epic Storm is pulling ahead. Let's let's hit Wishclaw Talisman, make them go back to to Burning Wish and and like or or whatever. Like let's hit Orem's chant, like make them play uh discard again. And, and like I don't know, like just you get into these crazy little weeds of like how do I knock two and a half percent off of a deck against the metagame to make this perfect? And this if this doesn't sound absurd then you're not in the right mind space. It sounds absurd coming out of my mouth because it can't be done. Let me put it this way. I have received sort of under the table offers from multiple different people wanting to start formats or wanting to do like their own like legacy, like community ban list thing. And I've always like listened to them. I've always heard them out. And then I've always said, no, I don't think I want to be a part of this because, well, there's a number of ways that I could end that sentence. But essentially... At the end of the day, I'm not sure that I, as engrossed in a format like Legacy as I am, could just make the correct decision all of the time. I don't know, it's Phil. Hard. We're never wrong. Ever. Oh, man, when you put it that way, like, yeah, give me the title. For what it's worth, on this podcast, I'll at least speak for myself. I thought Dragon Rage Channeler was the best red one drop in Modern Horizons 2. It's an extremely busted card, 
my opinion of Ragavan initially was not correct. And sometimes you just don't get everything right. Yeah, we were all there. We all shot that episode together where we wrote a absolute love letter to Dragon's Rage Channeler and Endurance. And Ragavan, we were just sort of like, eh, one toughness. How important is the card? You know, whatever. And it turns out, yeah, we, we just, we didn't think it was bad. We just thought the Dragon's Rage Channeler was the real sleeper, uh, the real banger. And it turned out it's both. But Ragavan is also just mega fucked. Yeah, and then we'll get rid of Ragavan, and then like we can come back to the Dragon Rage Channel or Love Letter again. You know, it'll it'll come full circle. Right. Uh, I want to take this opportunity to talk about the EDH community a little more because there's a lot of important things going on over there that apply to this conversation. So EDH, uh, I believe is the biggest format in Magic, not close at this point. Like, they're designing cards for Commander first, Limited second, and then all constructed formats are just like, eh, we'll sort it out with the ban list. That Like, that's pretty clearly how they've made cards, uh, including, like, every set comes with a run of pre-built Commander decks. Every, uh, we got Commander Legends. Uh, Double Masters is basically the first Commander Legends. Like, all of these things, uh, like, EDH is is Magic now, but like it or not. And so there is EDH, and there is a rules committee for EDH. They select a ban list. This ban list is preposterous. It's nebulous at best. It, it, it contains a card like Upheaval, but doesn't contain a card like Obliterate. Like, what's the difference between those two cards? Uh, why is one banned and one not? Uh, why is Soul Ring legal at all? Uh, why is Primeval Titan banned, but you know, Cultivator Colossus is not? And, and there's just like all of these things that you could nitpick, and the community does nitpick like crazy. And you end up in these spots where people, like Rule Zero, is just, you know, play with people you want to play how you want to play. That's what the a lot of EDH conversations come down to, where it's like, Okay, you don't want any one card win conditions. You don't want uh, revel in riches. You don't want uh, I can't even think of any other one card win conditions. But like you know, Thassa's Oracle. You don't want that in your game. Rule zero: talk to each other. Don't play those cards. But the format does contain those cards. So you end up with CEDH, which is uses the commander ban list, and they just agree we're going to go as hard as possible, and no one's going to feel bad about it. And then you get things like. Canadian Highlander, which uh, if I my if memory serves, I'm not really in on these formats, but if memory serves, they've established a point system where you get like X points to build your deck, and you can get the busted guard like Thassa's Oracle, but then you probably can't afford the tainted pact to it, turn on the Thassa's Oracle, etc. Uh, you, you're not going to get tainted pact, Thassa's Oracle, Demonic Tutor, Vamp Tutor, Imperial Seal all in the same deck on that point system, so they've done something else. And then there's like Oathbreaker, which I'm not even sure what that is. And that like there's a bunch of splinters of the EDH community that have their own names and they have enough following that they can keep rolling down the road with the people who like to play it. But at the end of the day, all of these people who quote unquote play EDH are going to have a hard time showing up the LGS on Commander Night and sitting with three people who want to play the same game as them. And Ultimately, like CEDH operates in the this within the commander ban list. So at least you could say like I'm playing commander, 
but these other d- things they're like not even playing commander anymore uh one of the one of the variants i believe you get like a commander and a spell like a signature spell in your command zone that you can cast uh and like you can't play that format with someone playing edh and uh it just becomes really hard to get a game once you leave your community that you've built online and ultimately are you how much magic are you going to get to play after putting in all this work to like get a canadian highlander up off the ground or the epic legacy you've done all those work to create the epic legacy show up at your lgs you've read all the articles you've watched all the videos you're in the discord you show up at your lgs it's like anyone want to play the epic legacy and the answer is no what because they don't know what that is I, sorry, Bryant. the 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 version of Legacy where you get six dark rituals is just not appealing to most players, and it is what it is. Uh, Chalice is banned. Thalia is banned. Mindbreak traps banned. Like, no, no. Only one person wants to play that, and it's you. And you show up with your your six dark ritual deck. Uh, I'm gonna be impressed at your six Japanese foils from Mercadian Mass. They look awesome, by the way. <laughs> but I, I, I'm not gonna play that format with you. And like. EDH being a community-driven format that was absorbed by WotC and continues to be largely community-driven because the rules committee are people who don't work for WotC. They're, they've somehow worked out that like Sheldon Mennery and Toby Elliott and all those people get to keep managing Commander, even though it's a WotC format, and you get a lot of weird shit happening as a result. But at the end of the day, like there is an authoritarian foot on the ground that says this is the ban list at some point i would like to point out that another thing that you might have missed on was it's either australian or canadian it's edh but it's 60 cards so like even sometimes they break one of the core fundamentals of the format but everything else is still the same it's like 60 cards you do get a commander it's just you know different uh, but there's all those failed experiments too. I'm sure Brian, you might remember this. This was actually pre EDH, but there was a format called Skittles. It was uncommons and commons. You had to split everything exactly even. So your deck was 60 cards. I believe it ended up working that you got like seven cards of each color, uh, plus seven artifacts. And you usually played like 24 lands if I remember the math correctly. But if you wanted to run charms, each charm counted as one third of a color and you would have to offset that evenly so if you wanted to oh run charms God. like the math had to work out so like this was this convoluted format and i had like three decks for it and like no one's even gonna remember skittles now that i'm talking about it and then let's think about tiny leaders we're stuck with leable because tiny leaders was hot for two months who still plays tiny leaders so there's all these fail was another one formats. of the ones yeah so there's all these failed formats that exist but Who's still playing them? Because it's really hard to make these sub formats stick around. So I played anti with uh, a bunch of the people in Roanoke for a couple of months. It was just like what we would do in between rounds. Like you, you bought three packs from throughout magic history to start it off. You put a certain number of lands in your deck, you shuffled them together and you would play for an anti versus like your opponent's decks, like whatever they had. And these decks ended up being like awful amalgamations with like unbalanced land counts, unbalanced power counts. And it was really fun for something to do between rounds. But that was a format that had like no longevity. Like it, it was a cool reason to buy some packs. It was fun. It was entertaining. But like 
that's not something that has a metagame. That's not something you can really run a real tournament for. Uh, you know, is that a fun thing to do with your buddies around a, you know, a dining room table with a couple of beers? Yes, absolutely. But are you going to come back to that for months and months and months? No, probably not. That reminds me of the game Keyforge, that Richard Garfield game, where each pack was a deck and each deck was different and you could not change the deck. Like you, the what came out of the pack was the deck. And it, it like the gimmick was like some computer just shit out the million different combinations of cards that could exist. And sometimes the decks were good. Sometimes they were bad. And they simply existed as they came out of the pack. And I remember being at the local game store when Keyforge dropped and a bunch of my friends were like buying into it. And the the store already had in the case like good decks at above the price of a pack like opened decks that were like this deck actually played insanely it's 75 dollars compared to like the 15 bucks for a normal random pack or whatever like but you know you're buying a good deck and you can't buy singles because you can't change the cards and a bunch of my friends were excited at the novelty and i was like what the hell are you doing none of you are gonna play this in two weeks and uh, that was mostly accurate. I haven't heard anyone mention that game. Yeah, I, I think I played like half. five games of that before I was like, okay, this 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 was cool. I enjoyed the gift of these two decks that I was given. These will now sit on my shelf. Yeah, that that felt to me like a brain experiment that should have stayed in Richard Garfield's brain, or it should have been a digital offering. Like the the idea of just printing paper product for these millions of different decks that could exist and can't switch over with each other. It's just, this is all going to end up in the trash. Could it come with a list of cards that were in it? Because what's stopping anyone from just changing out a card? Like I think of pre-releases where there was a local cheater here that would play the midnight pre-release and they would call Iron Manning it. They would play six by the end of Sunday. And trust me, the person's deck by Sunday was fucking insane because they yeah, had... it was just a constructed deck. We we all have that guy so, in the local area. What's stopping anyone from doing that if you don't get a deck list? There's a deck okay. list in the pack. Yeah. Like you open it up and there is just a deck it included like pre tournament, like Magic the Gathering deck list. It's like, here's your deck. And uh I think that there were definitely tournaments briefly for this thing where like the the idea of a constructed tournament just literally made me angry and i didn't want to think about the logistics of that or it's just like so it's just the person who bought the most packs and got the best deck uh, like on aggregate over time like that or just got really lucky with one pack or whatever or went online and bought the 150 dollar unbeatable deck i don't know like that just made me angry and the idea of limited i think you like bought two and played the one you were happier with it was just all a mess and uh that we've gone down a, a side road here, but circling back the idea of you know, longevity and playing over and over again is is important, which feeds into an issue with certain community driven formats. Like if you, for example, want to define like I've seen pre Innistrad Legacy be a popular or Innistrad Legacy, like we have Snapcaster Mage, but we don't have Terminus yet. A lot of people think that was like the real sweet spot of Legacy's history. And I know they fired tournaments and power to them. I am happy that they are all having a good time with that. But at some point, that format will stagnate 
Like, if you work on it enough and the card pool doesn't change, if nobody's managing a ban list, if new cards aren't being printed into it, then at some point, the best thing or best set of things will be determined. And nothing's going to change it other than sheer will to try something different. Yeah, this is our one of our future bullet points, so let's just go there now. It's It's the solved format issue. With some of these formats that have like a clear bounded end to them, for example, if you play enough of that format, like you're going to know what the deck is of that format, or you'll know I what see the what best. You did there, Phil. Yeah, I I know exactly what I did. <laughs> yeah. Um. So if you just have a solve format where everyone knows what the best couple of decks are, and it's very hard to do a rogue archetype that is going to compete with those, it's not super interesting. One of the reasons that Magic is one of the greatest games ever is that it's constantly evolving. And when you stop evolving formats, they get solved very easily. And it's no different from a video game that you just have to figure it out and beat. And once you beat it, you lose interest. You go play the next video game that you haven't solved yet. So that's why I think formats like old school and middle school ultimately aren't going to be long lasting. Like they're time capsules. And that's super fun for a little bit. But six months from now, who cares? I when I went to the Legacy Pit Open, I stayed with Jarvis and he has all of the World Championship Gold Border decks just in a box. And we just grabbed random ones out of the box and mashed them into each other a couple times. Then we'd grab a different deck and mash them into each other again. And it was a lot of fun. It was an absolute delight. But firing tournaments of that versus just, you know, this was a fun trip down memory lane. It's fun how magic used to be played versus getting brains really working hard on something to find the next thing when the next thing is already there there will never be a new thing it, someone might find a new thing but once they do everyone knows about it uh, it i kind of think of the speedrun community in this way like you brought up the video game analogy of like you play the game you beat it you move on to the next game some people don't some people get really good at playing the one game and this is going to lose a lot of people, but the the speedrun community, like there are people who dedicate their lives to finding minor optimizations in very old games. Uh, I watched a Yoshi's Island speedrun where these people had accidentally, like the, you do all the normal things, like you move your character the fastest, you find the cleanest lines through the level, and then it becomes weird things like you accident you play the game so much that one time you accidentally glitched through a wall and you just realized you skipped half the level because you glitched through a wall now you go through every level just really systematically like running into every wall in every kind of way that you can to see if you can find another glitch anywhere else and maybe like after a thousand hours of work someone finds a second one and that person holds the speed one run world record for a day until everyone they post that video and everyone knows about the glitch and they do it too and that's kind of like speed running an snes game is kind of what uh the old school middle school those like really locked in formats will ultimately feel like to me it's an interesting comparison i don't hate it all right so i want to talk about an event that stands out in my mind as being like absolutely one of the best like kind of off-the-wall one-shot events. So at SCGCon one year in Roanoke, there was a no-band-list modern event uh, that was, like, open size. 
it was super hyped up like locally we had people working on lists for weeks and weeks like we ran some local level no modern no band list modern events leading up to this like we had people gathering and testing for this and this was an awesome event people loved it and there was no attempt at keeping the event alive beyond that right like you can still play like no band list modern. It's it's still a thing that technically exists, right? But it wasn't like oh, my Discord actually runs a no band list tournament. Yeah. Uh, it, it's community driven. Uh, a, a bunch of members of my Discord do it, and they fire events, and they're constantly, you know, I see them matching up for league games and stuff. So, if you're interested in this format, my Discord offers it. But carry on, Phil. Uh, you're not going to find a game at the LGS of no band list modern. Yeah, but just kind of continuing the point. This was something that they did kind of knowing that it would be a one-shot thing, or maybe they pull it out of their back pocket again later, right? And I think it is very easy to successfully have a one-time event for a, a, a fun-of format, so to speak. Like, you have a cool idea, you want to organize one tournament, one event with it. I think that sort of thing can be very successful as a change of pace. Um, legacy players right now, you're super burnt out on Legacy, right? So if someone was like, hey, this weekend we're going to play uh, Legacy with no Ponder and Brainstorm, you'd be like, uh, that's weird, but like, yeah, okay, I would do that one time. But, you know, would you have the support to do that for every weekend? No, maybe not. But if you're thinking about, like, trying to put in some serious work and making some format work, get a handful of people excited about your local level, straight up try it. And that might mean doing something like legitimately fronting prize money yourself um this is something that i know anurag das has done a handful of time for some of these like oh ragavan band tournaments or uro band tournaments um run through like lotus box yeah i was gonna say that exact same thing i was also gonna cite anurag for his efforts in doing this the reason that scg no bandless modern thing was so hype was because it had the clout of star city games behind it it was a star city games open event it ran two days it cut to a top eight there was cash like i think it was a 10k or like whatever the scg opens are or were at the time uh the winner or the top eight whoever queued for the envy like there were real stakes a real reason to work on this thing it all of this this whole conversation it just clicked in my head feels like old extended like eight year extended where everyone loved extended it was insanely popular. It was the best PTQ format. Pros love it. Casual love it. It was just this beautiful, big, open format where you got to try different things, highly rewarded metagame calls and uh, like clever deck building and all of those things that you want in a format. Nobody touched it outside of the PTQ season. It was the hottest shit. Everyone loved it for three months of the year. And then the block PTQ season rolled around into standard, into limited PTQ seasons, and you just nobody played extended because there was no motivation for it like uh behavior goes where reinforcement flows that's what they say and just the idea of keeping up with an extended metagame when there's no ptq to win it's preposterous even though the format rules and that like that's kind of what's going on here uh i had a local recently try to fire a no ban list local pod you know like ten dollar buy-in winner gets the money or whatever I don't think he got three takers. It was just like, no, only you want to do this. Like, let's let's just play magic the normal way. I have two points I'd like to make. 
One of the big things behind the SCG no ban list thing was that it was completely unsolved. Like there were some locals to me that were like, holy crap, we can build uh, top miracles in uh, modern. We have top, we have counterbalance, we have terminus. It's going to be insane. But then they went to the event and they're like, oh, we forgot Ayavugan was legal. We just get ran over by Eldrazi all day. And once that's a known thing, it completely changes the dynamic of what everyone's doing. The fact that no one knew about all the possibilities of like all the crazy shit that was going to happen. Like once that's a known thing, it just gets a lot less interesting. And the other thing I wanted to mention was what were you just talking about, Brian? I'm sorry. Oh, it was old extended something. About oh, old extended. yes. Okay. So if I actually really, as a kid, cause that's when I was playing old extended. So if we look, I think modern right now is old extended. It's roughly 10 years old. It has a huge card pool. It's super powerful. You get to do some broken things, but the early broken stuff isn't allowed. I think there's a very good comparison to recent modern there. Uh, I'm going to fact check you before we get angry comments. The modern format has existed for 10 years, but the card pool is much bigger than 10 years. Sure. Like extended was like eight years and it rolled like as a new year came in, the old year dropped off. Modern is a non-rotating eternal format. Extended was just a big rotating format. So like it's it's a little different there. But eighth edition. Yeah, modern does three. So it's, you know, 18 years old. Um, Right. Yeah, modern now is bigger than Legacy when modern was started. Isn't that crazy? All right. I feel like an old man now. Yep. Did all your brains just shoot out your butts? No, I I was doing the mental math as this conversation was going, and I'm like, wait. (laughs) Yeah. I remember uh, many years ago, someone said to me, Onslaught is the midpoint of magic, and I felt old then. And now I'm pretty sure the midpoint of magic is something like Shards of Alara. Oh, my God. I, I mean... Someone check my math on that. I just pulled that out of my butt. But it's definitely like pretty close to that era. Hold on to your butts. Hold on to your butts. All right. And I just want to like circle back to No Banless Modern and how you were like, oh, the locals realized like, oh, right. Ayavugan exists. Whoops. I thought this was going to be fun, but it's not. And the actual No Banless leg- uh, Star City Open was won by Eldrazi. Defeating Brian Brunduin in the finals. Brian Brunduin was on Top Miracles. Remember that deck, by the way? Top Miracles, Modern Legal. And the only reason he didn't win the tournament was he forgot about Eldrazi and didn't put two ensnaring bridges in his sideboard. Or else Top Miracles with two ensnaring bridges would have been completely untouchable. And once the once the veil is dropped and you have a you know, 800 person tournament worth of information and you realize like, Wait, we're talking about unfettered Eldrazi versus top miracles? That's not fun anymore. All right. So Bandless exists for a reason. I want to take a minute to delve into some numbers just to show you how small of a player base a lot of these community-driven formats have. I'm going to share with you some Discord uh, just member numbers here, okay? Pre-Innistrad Legacy currently has 243 members in it. Pre-War of the Spark Legacy Discord currently has 229 members in it. All right, so sub-250 for both of those. Let's compare those to a relatively small format like Legacy. The Legacy Paper Webcam Play Discord server has 2,704 people. Discord server, specifically for the Legacy subreddit, has 2,395 people. If we look at some 
numbers for like say one specific legacy deck the death and taxes deck has just under 2000 people in its discord server the storm discord server has about 1700 people so all those things have an order of magnitude larger number of people interested in it than something like one of these niche player driven communities if we compare this to say the edh discord which is going to have a lot more people the play edh discord has about 30,000 people in it. Another order of magnitude bigger than the legacy discords, all of them. For a little uh, additional context, the Bosch and Roll Patreon discord has about 190 people in it, which is very close to the pre-Innistrada and pre-war discord numbers. Like they're, they're slightly higher, but just people who like my content enough who are willing to pay to support it month by month is a comparable number to all the people in the world who want to get together and play pre-war of the spark legacy. Yeah. And I, I, I just want to like take this opportunity to say that we're not shitting on anyone who likes these formats. That's not the goal. Uh, like I hope that those 229 people fire games all the time and are having a blast and genuinely, you know, power to all of you, every single one of you and the middle school, the old school, all of you people. I hope you're having a blast. Uh, we're just citing these numbers for the the stark reality of the people who say, you know, let's take our ball and play on a different court. This is the game you're going to be playing. Le- Legacy is a small format. Uh, you know, it's hard to get into. The deck the decks are very expensive if you're not like playing on Magic Online or you're or you're not proxying, right? And so, in comparison, these niche formats that people have said, "Hey, I really want to play Magic like this." It's it's hard to find an audience, and that's why you see so many of these things just kind of fall flat on their face after a week. It's also like let's not even like let's open this up to legacy. There's also people you queue into in normal legacy matches that don't agree on the type of magic you play. Like Phil, I hate Chalice of the Void. Uh, I wish that card didn't exist, but I still play legacy. And there's some people where you get queued into them that are just like, nope, rage scoop. I'm not dealing with that shit. And they just, you know, take their ball and they go home. So you deal with that in a larger player pool and Legacy's already struggling to stay alive. And now you want to divide that even further. All right. So let's maybe start putting a bow on this. This entire episode is to say that if you want to put yourself out there, if you want to do something, whether it's magic content creation, whether it's creating your own format, whether it's building resources for this format that you envision, there's a lot to it behind the scenes that may not be immediately apparent to you. And while you might really enjoy this format that you've cooked up, finding your audience might be hard. Doing the things you need to to get your name out there, to get your idea out there, might be hard. And there are success stories. That no bandless modern event was sick. Penny, Penny Dreadful has made its way to something like MTG Goldfish, right? Like, that's that's a major win for a player-driven format. Get it on Magic Online, though. Not yet. Uh, well, so I know Phil was trying to wrap this up, but the thing that will keep Penny Dreadful from ever being sanctioned on Magic Online is the fact that the ban list rotates with the secondary market cost of the cards in the format. Like, your deck has to cost one ticket or less. Like, that. that's the deal. Uh, so, uh, Magic Online could never, or Magic the Gathering could never sanction something like that, 
because uh, they try not to consciously acknowledge the secondary market, LOL, whatever that means, uh, other than like through strategic reprints. But I uh, and I don't know where secret layers fall into all that conversation. But you said the magic Penny word. Dreadful, <laughs> right? Penny Dreadful cannot be sanctioned for that reason, uh, but it is as close to a sanctioned format. You, if you want to go play that. You can fire a league. You will get paired against a person that you don't necessarily know. It happens on Magic Online. There is an infrastructure for it that is the closest thing to a community-driven format that's ever that there's ever been. And power to the Penny Dreadful people. And if you're out there playing your No Ragavan, No Express Federation, No Days, Unbanned Mind Twist Legacy format, the Epic Legacy, Six Dark Rituals... Uh, are you going to end up as Penny Dreadful or are you going to end up as one of these other places with uh, 200 people in their Discord? And how much work are you willing to put into keeping those 200 people in your Discord? And, and there's just, you know, make sure... The point of this episode was make sure you know what you're saying before you say stuff, basically. Basically.